Um, obviously, it's been a week when everything has been dominated uh, by the death of Queen Elizabeth. Uh, and uh, we will be using some prayers later in the service. But, uh, um, and I, I'm going to show you one little clip of her. I hope you, you don't mind that. And uh, if, you might find it quite moving, but it's also quite funny. Uh, but I just wanted to, um, I keep meaning to do this lots of Sundays, and I always forget when I get up here, to just draw your attention to the flowers this morning. Uh, now, most Sundays, is it, you take a photograph, don't you, Helen? And it goes up on Facebook, along with some thoughts and reflections on a Sunday service. And uh, Helen very often captures what, because our flowers, the people who do our flowers, uh, I'll not mention names because they'd be embarrassed by that, but uh, are very thoughtful about what goes up here. It's part of the worship. It's not just decoration. So if you want to wander up this way at the end and take a wee closer look at these thistles, uh, it's, it's worth uh, just seeing those there. So let me uh, show you this little clip um, of the Queen, along with another person. And uh, they're both the same age. There will be all kinds of different trees going here another 50 years, maybe. It might easily be, yes. I won't be here, though. <laughs> I was going to say, a sundial neatly planted in the shade. Isn't it good, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Had we thought of that, that it was planted in the shade? It wasn't in the shade originally, I'm sure. But um, maybe we could move it. Wow, okay. Three, three wee things that fit with what we're trying to do anyway. Uh, one is that both David Attenborough and the Queen uh, were concerned to do something that would go way beyond them. Yeah? There will be lots more trees planted here in the next 50 years. And she said, but we won't be here. Yeah? And, but that doesn't in any way um, diminish the commitment to doing it. That they're both, they're both convinced about their own role in life is to do something that goes beyond them. And I think that's an incredibly important thing for the Christian church to grasp, is that much as we would like things to be how I would like them or how they would bless me. If they aren't something that goes beyond us, um, it will have been partly been a waste of time. But like the sundial, okay, which is great. And one of the things um, that I think is great about both David and the Queen here um, is that they recognize that something that was put in place a long time ago it's now in the wrong place, yeah? That uh, the sundial that was planted there, like she said to the person off camera, um, we must have, it must have been in the sun when we put it there. And of course it must have been. Uh, but that as a nation and as a world, and even as a church and as individuals, there has to be something about reflecting and looking around us at the things that we're sitting in and I don't just mean this building, but sitting in in our lives and in our society and in our community and thinking, yeah, it might have been a good idea when we started that. 
but it doesn't function anymore. It doesn't work anymore. It doesn't create the things that we're looking for. And um, this is sort of, uh, this isn't quite what I want to take out of the Bible for today, but it works politically and socially and community-wise and all sorts of ways all around us in our world that some things that were put in place because they needed to be put in that place, and I don't mean geographical place, but just the thought, even the thinking behind it, if they're not working anymore, we need to have the courage to think what needs to happen. And again, the Queen picked that up beautifully as she spoke to somebody off camera and said, maybe we should move it. And isn't that just so simple? Maybe we should just move it uh, to somewhere where it can work again uh, or get something else in its place. I suppose is, um, that's a very important thing for us to grasp, even about our own lives. Are there some things within our own hearts and minds and thinking and understanding of ourselves that we just need to say, I need to just move that a little bit, see it from a different angle maybe? So I want to pick up on uh, one of the things that came out from David Attenborough and from the Queen there about the trees that would be planted that they would never see. Uh, When Jesus said to people as he walked on the shores of Galilee and uh, in the streets of Galilee, as he picked up tax collectors and uh, some of the women around and some of the other men who were working on the fishing boats, and when he said to them, follow me and I will make you into, none of them believed for a moment that it was a hobby that they were getting into. None of them believed for a moment that this was going to be a two-week program of some sort, or a retraining conference, uh, or something, or some kind of um, continuing education program or something. They realized that when Jesus, the rabbi, said to them, I want, to follow, I want you to follow me, because I will make you into, and he said to the bones who were fishing, I'll make you into fishers of people. Right? But I'm guessing he would have rephrased that for everybody he invited to follow him. And therefore, when he says the same thing to you and me, follow me and I will make you into. This is, this is a life we're being invited into. It isn't a hobby. It isn't something that we put on our CV or something that doesn't affect other big chunks of our lives. We're, we're being invited into a journey and an experience of following Jesus that affects our families and our bank accounts and our hobbies and our interests and our spare time and our holidays and our relationships and our work and our future and our ambitions and our attitudes. Um, Come back to the Queen, that when she took on the role And we've heard it repeatedly about how she dedicated herself for life to living out the thing that she felt called to. And if we're followers of Jesus Christ, that's what we have done. We have said, I will follow you in every aspect of my life, for all of my life, Uh, not just for bits of it. So I want to introduce you to uh, what I think is the big picture for the year ahead for us as a church. In, in one respect, not everything. It couldn't possibly be everything in about 20 minutes. Let me take you to a Bible verse in 1 Timothy 4, verse 8. Physical training is good, 
But training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. Okay? Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. Imagine if training for godliness is investing in our eternity and not just in this week or this month or in the run-up to Christmas, but we're investing something in our eternity. Now, I want this will only be mildly interesting maybe to some of you. Ephesus is a, was a Greek city in Asia Minor, Turkey, uh, became a Roman city, and it was famous for a number of things. And one was it had an incredible um, athletics track in it, like the Colosseum in Rome. Yeah, 13,000 people apparently could be seated around this. Um, it was about 230 meters long, and it was U-shaped because you start at one end and you finish at the other end, so you start and finish where the important people can see you. And uh, they would have had gladiator events in here. They would have had um, chariot racing. There would have been running, all sorts of athletics uh, going on. Ephesus was a sporty city. There's a a little bit of a statue that was found of a hand of someone throwing a dis discus. I was going to say a disco there. It's a discus. Uh, there's uh, statues of people, gladiators, fencing and fighting. Um, one of the uh, gods of Ephesus is this guy, but it's the one in the background. The statue in the background is important as well of athletic events going on in this place. And Paul writes to Timothy, who's the leader of the church in that physical, sporty city, and says physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. And I think that's both very relevant way to phrase things in a city that had apparently had lots of gymnasia and training resources and all sorts, because people enjoyed this whole uh, physical exercise thing in Ephesus uh, in a way that many people in other parts of the world weren't even imagining, you know. Uh, they enjoyed sport. But Paul has the courage to write into that context and say, you know what? The whole thing that's the basis of how your society works, a big chunk of what's going on there, actually doesn't do anything uh, for your godliness or for the heart, for the mind. And he, he sort of challenges into that. And I think there's something like that uh, we need to be thinking about in the world that we're living in. Let me take you to, I've mentioned um, Laura Moore before um, during the summer. Uh, the Scottish runner who exceeded all expectations in three major championships in one summer and those pictures that I, I picked out there grasp some of the joy, grasp some of the effort, and grasp the giving all that she has needed to put into this. Uh, it's just great. She's very inspiring. Well, I did a wee bit of background on this because I thought, so I'm going to ask you to try to do some translating in your mind this morning as to how could this be uh, our program of teaching and learning and discipleship over this winter. We're going to take a wee quick look at the big picture, which is so big it doesn't fit the screen. Right. And this is who... So, thinking about Laura Muir, I did a wee bit of research on her and her coach and all the things going on. And one of the things she had to think about was fitness. 
right? Uh, and you're thinking, oh, well, what's that? Sure, what all she's got to do is do a bit of running. Well, I'm afraid it's more complex than that. She has to build up strength. She has to build up stamina. She has to build up speed. And she has to build up her ability to recover. Only takes a Friday off every week. Six days a week she trains, uh, but has to learn how to recover in one day to do six more days of the training. Now, apply that to faith. Apply that to our faith, to our spiritual lives. And we are going to poke into this over the next few weeks and months of how do we grow in the strength of that, the stamina of that, the speed of that? And how do we recover when it feels a bit weary and tired in that? Second thing she has to think about is diet. What is she putting into her body? Uh, now, that is not it, could I just say? <laughs> oh, even looking at that, you're just killing yourself, aren't you, <laughs> if, you stick, if you live off of that? Anyway, I, I'm not a scientist in any shape or form, uh, but I um, figured a few of these things out. She's putting protein in uh, because protein builds body tissue. She needs that to repair the muscles and everything else, that's, her joints and everything that's going on. She needs to put in carbohydrates because that's the source of fuel and energy. You can't go charging off down that road into the distance without a load of carbohydrates in you. Um, and she knows that she's got to fill her body with water constantly because water makes so much of everything in their work. But when she gets the diet of that worked out, it gives her... I just love that picture because it looks as if she floats over the ground. Yeah, it just touches the ground to bounce into the next pace uh, because she has worked out the things. So what are the things that for our faith, for our spiritual lives, that we need to be putting in? What's the balance of those to make us alive and alert uh, and bouncing with the energy of faith in the world that we're called to live in? She also has to be concerned about her health. So she has to be protected from certain things. She must not get a flu or a cold. That's just going to ruin uh, all that she's working towards. And in our Christian lives, as a church, as individuals, in whatever it is we're doing, we have to be thinking about what do we need to protect ourselves from? What are the things that if I let them dwell in me? And you can imagine what some of those things are. Things like jealousy. Uh, things like my ego, my pride. If I let some of those things dwell inside of me, uh, they will bring ill health to my spiritual life. So what are, what are the things and how do we protect ourselves against letting the, th the viruses in, I suppose? Then there's her mind. And apparently she has sports psychologists who help her work on her mind and attitudes and motivation. So cutting the tea off, I can't, so that I can and you can imagine the number of times she has to think, oh, I have to get up and do it again today. I've got to run another 15 miles, or I've got to lift those weights, or I've got to eat that food. How much I would love to be eating fish and chips or whatever. But So there's people working on what goes on in here. And what do we need? Do you remember Jesus was asked, what's the first and most important commandment? Love your neighbor or love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. What, what do we need God to be doing in our minds and our thinking? 
Another thing she has to figure out is who is she going to train with? Uh, because you can only do a certain amount of it on your own, and then you begin to run out of energy and run out of motivation and run out of joy about the whole thing. So picking the right people to run with, she'll want to run and train with some people who push her on and make her go harder than she wants to. Uh, she'll also need to train with people uh, who have a bit of wisdom about it and know when not to push on and when to hold back a little bit for the sake of the greater good of the body and the fitness. So again, thinking ourselves, who are we going to journey with? And how are we going to journey with these people in the life of faith and in the life of being the church of God? You'd never have thought of this one. Uh, the equipment is really important. I have a family that loves Crocs. Do you like Crocs? The, yeah, okay, right. Anyway, that and apparently you can get them with stiletto heels in all these days as well. I mean, the Crocs have gone mad. Um, but you know what? You don't want to be running in them. Yeah, you need a good pair of something else. Uh, you need the right equipment for running, for training, for everything else so that you're getting. So what's the equipment that we need for this journey of faith? What are things that would be beneficial to us in discovering more of God and of what he wants for us? And another one, she has to also think about the environment that she's going to train in. Uh, and winter in Scotland uh, at times will be wet and windy and miserable. And as a result, the amount of training or the style of training will be curtailed and it will have effect upon her. Uh, so at times, she will book herself into warm, sunny places and run on flat roads or run on hills or run at altitude or whatever it is she needs to do. But she will be concerned about her environment. And maybe we also need to be thinking a bit about the environment of faith. What's the balance between uh, where I live and work and play and everything else, and the balance of being with the people of faith? And where do I get strength from? How much of this do I need to live in those other places? Uh, what is that balance? So a huge number of things for us to tease out uh, over the weeks and months ahead as to what it means to embrace this big picture of physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. Could you watch this one more time? There will be all kinds of different trees going here another 50 years, maybe. It might easily be, yes. I won't be here, though. <laughs> I was going to say, a sundial neatly planted in the shade. Isn't it good, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Had we thought of that? <laughs> that it was planted in the shade. It wasn't in the shade originally, I'm sure. But um, maybe we could move it. Wow. Maybe we can move it. I need to just uh, give you a prior warning of something coming up uh, next Sunday night and then in about seven, eight weeks' time. Uh, we're having a confirmation service here on the first Sunday in November. And the bishop will be here, and a confirmation service is part of the, really is part of that training schedule in all of our lives. If you're a teenager, if you're 15 plus, it's a kind of rite of passage, it's a coming of age thing, it's a confirming promises that were made on your behalf when you were a baby uh, that you now want to step into and say, yes, 
I'm stepping into taking responsibility, some responsibility for my training in godliness. Uh, if you're a new person to the Church of Ireland or a new person to Beaver, it may be a way to say something like, I would like to stand up and say, I want to be part of this. Or for anyone at all, it could be, I'm saying, you know what? I have let a whole lot of things lapse in my life. Uh, I'm, you know, on automatic pilot in my faith. And maybe I want to say, I would like fresh start. I'd like something new. I'd like something to be alive and well again in me. Um, maybe I should... Want. So that's on the first Sunday night in November. But next Sunday night, we're going to have in the family center just an inquiry night. If you'd like to come along and find out anything about uh, getting confirmed as a teenager or as a parent of a teenager uh, or as someone else in the congregation, you'd like to find out a wee bit more about what it's all about and how we're going to get ready for it, then please do come along next Sunday night. If you can't do that, I'm sure there'll be stuff online and you can also talk to me. Uh, and if you're a teenager, talk to Olivia and find out a wee bit more about that. Now... Let's just uh, pause for a wee moment about the possibility of engaging in, engaging in a season of training for godliness and what that might be like for us.